What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Taz. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. You know, having a child and bringing life into this world can be one of the most beautiful things ever. But you have to have yourself together and make sure that you have the people around your child to ensure that they have a happy and healthy life. listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. I know you love that DJ, so I bought us tickets for next week. Got you a coffee, oatmeal cappuccino, right? Your bookshelf. Wow. You've got a really, really great taste. Really great taste. Let's spend the day together. I've got it all planned out. Kindness. Now that's sexy. Try it for yourself with compliments now on Bumble. All right, you guys, here's an additional trigger warning. This is a particularly hard case to listen to. This case does have to do with the murder of a child. Our players this week are Erica Green, our victim, Miss Betty, Erica's foster grandmother, Harrell Johnson, the accomplice, Thurman McIntosh, Harrell's granddad, and Michelle Johnson our murderess. Michelle Johnson was born Michelle Marie Pierce on January 9th, 1975. When Michelle was a teenager, she met and fell in love with Larry Green, and the two of them were inseparable. They were teenage sweethearts. Um, When they met, Michelle was like 13 or 14, and Larry was 15. Together, they had five children, Jasmine, LaKayla, Alicia, Larry Jr., and Erica. Now, their first baby they had after being together for three years, so they were teenagers when when they had their first baby. In 92, when she was 17, they found out that she failed to protect two of her children from physical abuse. So that means she failed to protect them from somebody else hurting her children. In 93, she gave birth to a child who tests positive for cocaine. And that was when she was 18 years old and that happened in Illinois. In 1997, under DHS investigation in Oklahoma, while she was pregnant with Erica, who would be their fifth child, she was in trouble for allegedly endangering the welfare of her child number four. And I believe that's Larry Jr., who was the fourth. During the investigation, DHS employees noted that While she was pregnant with Erica, Michelle was still using drugs. So they knew that she was using drugs while she was pregnant, and they just made a note of it. Now, Larry and Michelle ended up breaking up. That's not the first time, right? 
two of her. No, it's kids. not the first time. The kids were coming out testing positive for drugs. They were coming out of the womb because, you know, they test you. They broke up because Larry ended up having to go to prison. He ended up having to do a 10 year stint. So Michelle, you know, she needed to be out on her own to find herself. And I guess not hold it. Down. She wasn't a hold it down type of girl. Now, when Larry went into prison, remember, she was still pregnant with their youngest, which is Erica. And when Michelle was eight months pregnant with Erica, and remember, dad Larry is in prison, Michelle finds herself in prison and she gets a little six month stay in prison because some sources said larceny, some sources said forgery. I'm just going to go with a little bit of both. So now her other four children are in foster care. And she has to figure out what is going to happen to baby Erica. And how it goes is you need to find somebody that will step up and come take the baby or the system will come take step in and put the child in foster care. So she's trying to figure out, she's eight months pregnant, she's about to pop. And so Larry, her ex slash baby daddy, gets in contact with his mom. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure his mother is tired of their shit. I'm sure his mama is tired of their shit. But his mom was like, okay, well, let me reach out to my friend, Miss Betty Brown. Now, Miss Betty was one of those sweet little old ladies who just loved kids. And throughout her lifetime, they said that she fostered like over 200 kids. Now, I don't know if it was like officially fostered or if she was just one of those people that was like, you can just drop off the kids over here. And they, you, if y'all are having problems, make sure that the kids are safe. I'll make sure that they're taken care of. She just loved them. And so she decided that she was going to pick up baby Erica as soon as she was born. So five weeks after Michelle got locked up on May 15th, 1997, she was taken from the Mabel Bessett Correctional Center in McLeod, Oklahoma. She went to the hospital, gave birth to sweet little Erica Michelle Marie Green. And two hours after giving birth, they cleaned her up and sent her right back to prison. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies, but I do not know if two hours would be enough. Mm-hmm. Especially if you got to you know. give your baby up after that. Yeah. I mean, it's our fifth one, so maybe it just slid out. I don't know. Um, no, just like in the attachment of it all. But at this point, like, I'm wondering if she even has any attachment to these kids. Right. Mm. Mm. So when baby Erica is born, Miss Betty, she goes right up to the hospital. They say, okay, great. She agrees to take care of the baby. She signs a one-page release form that basically says that you're taking care of the child. As soon as the mother gets out of prison, you will give the child back to the mother. She signs the piece of paper. She shows an ID. They need another form of ID. So she shows her Sam's Club card and they give her baby Erica. Now, Erica was raised in Oklahoma by Miss Betty while Michelle was in prison. And even while Michelle got out of prison because she got right back on drugs. She was homeless. She was out there hooking around to get her drugs and money. And Erica used to call Miss Betty grandma and they loved each other. Like, she wanted her there and Erica wanted to be there. She was very independent and big for her age, but she was dainty. She loved the Teletubbies and dressing up in dresses and frilly stuff at church. They were members of the Evangelist Temple Baptist Church. And on one Sunday, Erica was watching the older kids sing in the choir and she just marched up there and joined them. They said that's just the way she was. She was a smart child. Now, I <laughs> actually have a similar story. I just love story. kids that just get up and just they be like, I just want to praise the Lord. Kids love it. Let me tell you, I was in church. My grandmother went to like this Presbyterian church. It was empty. Like, 
the singing would echo. The choir was about 10 people. The congregation was about 25. And my grandmother was in the choir, and she sang the lead. And I guess I was bored in church one day. I had to be somewhere between five and seven. And she's getting up singing her, and they sing like hymnals. They don't sing like, they sing hymnals. And so she's up there doing one of her, oh. <laughs> And I just stood up and was like, oh. <laughs> <Trying to> imagine. <laughs> Yo, she cut her she eyes at me so bad. fast. <laughs> so you was being mischievous. <laughs> Listen, I wanted to sing too. Now, at Miss Betty's house, she had an open-door policy. She was at no way trying to keep Michelle out of Erica's life. Michelle would come by, and she'd do a little visit, but she never stayed too long, and she never took Erica with her. And it was and never consistent schedule. Either. Right. right. Like, she just—she came when she came, and you don't know when you're going to see her again. Might be tomorrow. Might be next month. We don't know. Like we said— a lot of the way that Michelle would get her money and drugs was by prostituting. And so one of the guys, she kind of started this with Larry, and one of the guys who she used to, um, one of her old Johns was Mr. Harrell Johnson. You know, she's meeting up with him. They're doing drugs together, hanging out, hooking up. And eventually, she falls in love with this man. And she needs a place to stay. Ish. So there you go. Now, Harrell L. Johnson was born on September 7th of 1979. In February 2000, he was accused of hitting a man with a brick and allegedly put a gun in the mouth of another man and shot him, but both cases were dismissed. Michelle and Harrell, they occasionally broke the law together. Michelle would write some bad checks. She ended up having a warrant out for her. And Harrell also had a warrant out on him for some assault charges. They they weren't doing well at, you know, staying out of jail. They kind of laying low for a while because they both got warrants. On top of that, in the year 2000, Oklahoma State was trying to put Michelle on child support to pay for the other four children that were in the system, which... Now, I ain't never heard I of this. But I, but I have seen it on multiple sources, so I am going to believe that it's true. But they were like, you need to pay the state back for your child support, which I don't... I don't have no children. I don't know nothing about the child support system, but it sounds a little wild to me. And it sounds very mm, racist, classist, all those things. Because obviously, if I knew if I was able to take care of the child, I would, you know, if I had the money Listen, and the niggas say that every the time. Day. Daddy's on child okay. support say that every day. No further rebuttals, you're on. <laughs> On April 4th of 2001, Michelle goes to Miss Betty's house with Harrell. Now, Harrell's carrying his, not Michelle, but his six-month-old baby. And Michelle is, like, talking to Miss Betty. She's like, oh, we got this family reunion coming up, and I want Erica to meet some of the family, see her cousins and all of that. So Miss Betty is like, okay, that's fine. You're her mama. You can take her. You know, that's fine. She packs up some clothes for Erica, a few dresses, because that's her favorite. Now, Erica, she had this pink Easter dress that she was dying to wear. And Miss Betty was like, when you give it back, you'll be back just in time to wear it for Easter, okay? So they give their goodbyes, a little hug, a little kiss. And Grandma Betty, she blows Erica a kiss. And she's like, I'll see you later, okay? 
And she was like, I'll see you later. Right. Miss Betty was like, Miss Betty was like, she was so, she's just such a sweet girl. She was like, I'll see you later. I love you. <laughs> but instead of them going to the family reunion or any family reunion, Michelle, Harrell, Erica, and Harrell's six-month-old drive down to Kansas City, Missouri, and they move in with one of Harrell's cousins, and her name is LaWanda Driscoll. LaWanda said that not long after Erica got there, Erica was just crying, and she was homesick. She said that she wanted to go back home to her grandma, Miss Betty, and that Harrell would just be so mean to Erica, and that he would hit her whenever Erica was trying to cry, and she would just hear him beating her in the back room every time that she got upset. LaWanda said, quote, we could hear her screaming for her little life in the back bedroom when he was in there with her. And and what did you do about they it? Would, nothing. She ain't do shit. She ain't do shit. I'm gonna let you right know right now she ain't do shit. She ain't do shit, y'all. She said that Harrell would beat her up because she was crying or because she peed on herself. Uh, if she wouldn't eat, like if she, you know how she's this is all like things two, that three. toddlers do. <laughs> they, they cry. They, don't eat. they have accidents. They refuse you know? to eat. They give you a showdown. They really don't like to go to bed. Right. Any little thing she would get a beating for, and it was to the point where Harrell was getting mad at Erica, like, you need to fucking control your child. I'm going to do something bad, like, straight up. And one time, Harrell threatened Michelle, and Michelle was like, listen here, this one, this one is my child, so I control her. I make sure she's straight. That one over there, that one is your child, so you do something about that child, okay? Which is like, I grew up in a single-family household, and I don't have any step parents or anything like that but I would imagine that if you are bringing somebody into your life and you have a child that you should be able to trust them with light discipline you know mm-hmm. I get how some people are like Mm-mm, you can't be there's certain lines that you have to cross but light discipline also does not include putting your hands on them because I also feel like just the way I was raised if I was around any adult for a certain period of time, any of them could give me light discipline, you know? Whether it's my auntie right. or, like, a teacher I was close with, just a coach. Right. But there's also still a line because you still— At light. Know. Right. <laughs> right. There's light discipline. But also, like, you just learn how to respect adults. However, at three years old— I probably wasn't the best one to be running around with. I was probably was still very much a handful because you're three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How <laughs> you're three. Now, weeks started going by, and Miss Betty, she was wondering where her sweet little Erica went. But, like, but by this piece of paper that she signed, really, the piece of paper said that as soon as Michelle got out, out of prison, that she was to give Erica back to Michelle. So it was a miracle that she had Erica as long as she did. So if you ask Miss Betty, she felt like she had no real power because she signed a piece of paper saying that she had to give the baby back to the mom. So she's sad, but she really doesn't feel like there's anything that she can do. Now, when they moved to Kansas City, Michelle and Harrell, they apparently, they moved there because they wanted better jobs. They couldn't find any opportunities. They couldn't find work. But while being there, they instead found a new drug of choice. PCP. Now, I know, Dare. Dare just coming back at me. 
Harrell and Erica, they would smoke PCP. They would smoke crack. They didn't give a fuck what the kids they were, were doing. They would just sit in a room getting drunk and high. And now PCP, if you don't know, like it can cause hallucinations. It can like distort sounds, make things sound louder or more quiet than they actually are. And it makes you very prone to violent behavior. I also read that PCP can like make you feel like you stronger, like super more supernatural than you actually are and have like super strength. And they were on it bad. In 2020, City Lab of Pittsburgh released a study that ranked Cleveland as the worst city in America for Black women to live. A new podcast called Living for We is trying to figure out why and how to change that. The podcast interviews Cleveland residents about their experiences at work, at school, during visits to the doctor's office, and while in the community with each other in an attempt to answer the question, is Cleveland really as bad as they say it is for Black women? Executive produced and hosted by Marlene Harris-Taylor, produced by NPR's IdeaStream Media Public in partnership with senior producer Hannah L. Reach of Evergreen Podcasts and with creative direction and production by Hey Friend Hey. The podcast covers topics like education, healthcare, and workplace challenges for black women, speaking with guests ranging from age 7 to 94. Episodes regularly include segments with Dr. Angela Neal Barnett, a national award-winning psychologist and professor about the unfair expectations society places on black women, asking her for advice and how to cope and furthermore, how to challenge these ideas. Find Living for We wherever you listen to podcasts and on ideastream.com. One evening in April of 2001, just a few days after arriving to Kansas City, Erica and Harrell came home around 8 or 9 o'clock. After being home for a while, everybody got settled into bed, and Harrell starts drinking, smoking, and Michelle gets ready to take a bath. After a while, Michelle goes in to check on Erica, and she notices that she's still awake. As a matter of fact, she's standing in the bedroom outside of the bed. So she says, Erica, baby, get back in the bed, and she goes to take a bath. Harrell, who is drunk and high at this point, starts fussing at Erica. Get in the bed, get in the bed. Erica's not listening. Why? Because she's three. Harrell goes to Michelle, and he's like, Erica being bad. Michelle goes back into the room, and she sees Erica still out of bed. And she asks Harrell, what's, what's Erica doing standing up? Harrell's like, well, she didn't want to go to sleep. I, I made her stand up over there. Michelle says, let me worry about my kid. So Michelle sits on Erica's bed, and she's like, come on, baby, come lay down. She, Michelle's sitting on the bed at this point, and Erica's standing a few feet away from her. And Harrell is standing behind Erica. Hey, guys, we're about to get into it. So if you want to skip ahead, we'll put it in the show notes of when you can come back. Now, out of nowhere, Harrell lifts up his foot and kicks Erica in the head. And she immediately collapses to the floor and loses consciousness. Her eyes begin to roll to the back of her head. And Harrell continues to beat Erica, hitting her, kicking her and hitting her with the ashtray. Michelle begins to freak out. In an attempt to revive her, she takes Erica's limp body to the bathtub and splashes her with cool water, hoping that she'll regain consciousness. Erica is unresponsive, and 10 to 15 minutes later, Michelle takes Erica back to her bedroom and lays her on the floor. Erica's still unconscious, but her eyes are no longer rolled back to the back of her head anymore. Michelle kind of 
sits with Erica on the floor for a while and she begins singing her favorite song, a Barney song, which I probably imagine is I love you, you love me. And she's just kind of laying with there and kind of being with her baby and ends up leaving her daughter on the floor and exiting the room. They look at each other and clearly they know that they need to call an ambulance for Erica because what is going to happen? But Michelle looks at Harrell, Harrell looks at Michelle, and they're both like, I got warrants. So calling not only anybody, <laughs> not only do I have a warrant, you have a warrant. And I'm fucked up. So uh, I don't think that calling for help for this child is the best option. So they just wait and see what happens. Now, Lawanda, she's in the house and she said that she heard a loud thud and then she heard nothing else. And she asked Michelle and Harrell and they were like, oh, she's just upstairs. She's not feeling good. She's sick. For 14 hours, Erica lays on the bedroom floor. She's unconscious. She's unresponsive. Her eyes are no longer rolled to the back of her head, but like She's not moving. And the next morning, Michelle and Harrell, they tried to feed her unconscious body. And they were like, oh, since she didn't regain consciousness, I guess she's dead. And they're like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? How do we get rid of this body? Because now we're messed up with this kid. So they're like, okay, we have this baby stroller. They put her body into the baby stroller. They wait till it gets dark. The two of them take the stroller, climb out of the window, and Harrell brings a pair of hedge clippers with him. They take Erica's body to a nearby wooded area, and they take off everybody's clothes. Now, they ended up pointing the finger at each other. Who knows who actually took off the clothes? But Erica, they then remove all of Erica's clothes because they were like, it's an identifying factor. Allegedly, Michelle disposes of the clothes. And while she's disposing of the clothes, Harrell takes garden shears And he puts them to Erica's head and cuts her head off. He goes deeper into the woods and just tosses her headless naked body into the woods. He puts her head into two garbage bags and throws that ashtray that he beat her with inside of the garbage bag, tosses it in the church dump and heads home. Michelle's like, okay, what did you do with the body? And he tells her what he did. And Michelle's like, if the garbage on the church lot start smelling bad they're going to get suspicious they're going to search it they're going to find the head you need to go get the head and dispose of it a better way he's like fine he goes back dumpster dives to get the head wedges it in between like a tire in the woods and goes back probably gets high again and they wait to see if anything comes up and they I don't know they probably thought that they really got the fuck away with it Now, Lawanda asked again about Erica, and they were like, oh, she was just not feeling so good. So she's back at Miss Betty's. We took her back to Oklahoma. And then she was like, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense because, you know, the little girl was living in Oklahoma with this Miss Betty character. So maybe that's actually where she is. And this is what Michelle and Harrell tell everybody. They ask about Erica. They're like, oh, well, She's with Miss Betty. You know, I don't have have none of my kids. So she's with Miss Betty. She's in the system. She's fine. And it it attracts, right? Because she'll never have none of her kids. Exactly. So it's not the craziest thing she's come up with. Right. On April 28th, 2001, police get a missing call about a missing older gentleman. This is a cold silver, all right? 
police are called out to the wooded area to look for this missing man. And they head out into the woods about 6.45 p.m. And something catches their eye. They get closer and they realize they have stumbled upon the naked, decapitated body of a little girl. Her injuries on the body were bad and they were able to determine that this little girl was probably about three or four years old. But that's all that they know. Now, after Erica's body was found, police canvassed a nearby neighborhood thinking someone obviously has a missing child. This case will soon be solved. We just need to get ahead of it, right? They're, they're knocking on door to door, you know, asking, is anybody missing a missing toddler? Has anybody heard anything going on? They even knock on Lawanda's house where this all happened. And Michelle answers the door and talks to the police. When they asked her, was there any suspicious activity in the neighborhood lately? She says, you know what? I did see a strange black male wandering through the neighborhood the night before. Anything else, ma'am? No, that's, that's all. I've known. Police don't look much further into what she said. They go back to investigating and they test the ashtray that was found next to her body, but it comes back with nothing, no DNA evidence or anything. Now, the police, they were doing multiple searches. People come to the community were coming out in the woods, you know, trying to help them find this baby's head. On May 1st, a volunteer named Billy Stagall is out here. Billy was a retired postal worker, a veteran, father of five, grandfather of seven, and he had a few mental health issues. He heard voices and had visions, and he would often involve himself in investigations with the police over the years. Like, oh, I've got a tip for you. I've got a da-da-da-da, you know, I can help you. I'm having premonitions. Police had cornered off one area of the woods to go in this certain direction and look for her head, but instead, Billy starts heading in the opposite direction. He sees a reporter and a cameraman, and he says, hey, follow me. So he walks around with this cane, and he's moving around with this cane, pushing stuff in and out the way, walking or whatever, and finally he spots an old tire. Inside this tire is a trash bag. Inside this trash bag is another trash bag covered in flies. And inside that trash bag was this baby's head. I know you love that DJ, so I bought us tickets for next week. Got you a coffee, oatmeal cappuccino, right? Your bookshelf. Wow. You've got a really, really great taste. Really great taste. Let's spend the day together. I've got it all planned out. Kindness. Now that's sexy. Try it for yourself with compliments. Now on Bumble. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land. But come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. It's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines, Rated R, streaming only on Paramount Plus. Now, people begin to suspect him of Erica's murder because how did you know where to go? He's interrogated by the police. His trash was confiscated. They followed him. They did a background check on him. And maybe I just got a gift. Okay. You know what I'm saying? They was Don't like, know what the good Lord just gave me. They said, how did you know where to look? And he says, she appeared like a shadow and said, help me. Now, 
They're all you just know dick. what? Sometimes I do, like, when I'm missing things, this is going to sound crazy, but sometimes when I'm missing things, it'll come to me in, like, a daydream. And I'm like, oh, shoot, my headphones are in the pocket of this, <laughs> underneath this, underneath my bed. Mm, so deep, it's huh? not the craziest thing I've ever heard. Right. I definitely believe, definitely believe in premonition, so me neither. But, yeah, he was like, you know, she asked for help, I gave her the help. He told the police that he walked the area where her body had been found and started looking, and after five hours, he found it. Not only did they find the baby's head, but they also found the ashtray that she was hit with. They test the ashtray, but comes back with no DNA. Six feet into this wood lay across for the body of this unknown three-year-old child. This is kind of shocking to police. Like, how do we still not have any information Somebody is missing their three-year-old daughter. No police report, no missing child, nothing. Nothing. Like, this is it's not making sense. You're going to know if your three-year-old child is missing. Somebody's going to know a three-year-old's not there, you know? Right. Around May 5th, the community, they're coming together. They're trying to get information. This has now become the community's baby girl. Like, somebody has clearly abandoned her or lost her. She doesn't have anybody looking for her, so we're looking for her, right? This is our baby girl. And they gave her the name of Precious Doe. Now, volunteers are helping spread word as best they can. They're passing out flyers. They're knocking on doors. Who's missing this baby? Who's missing this baby? They talked about it on the radio, on the news, in the newspapers. They even raised money to give this girl a memorial in Hibbs Park, which is close to where her body was found. This is around the time when they gave her her moniker, Precious Doe, as opposed to just a Jane Doe. Right, and they started using Precious Doe throughout all the news coverage of her from here forward. Because we don't know what now, to call her. She's just this missing baby. Right, and since she's so young, it just doesn't feel right to just call her, oh, Jane Doe, you know, a little precious baby that didn't deserve the fate that she clearly met. Now, while all this is going on, all this searching, trying to figure out what's happening, Michelle and Harrell, they live in various places. They move from here to there, everywhere. You know, wherever the drug's going, they're going. Eight months after Erica passed away, Michelle and Harrell had their first child together. So she had that child eight months after Erica died. There is a chance that she was pregnant when Erica was murdered. And again, every time that they moved around, people would ask like, oh, where's where's Erica? How's she doing? How's, you know, baby number five out of right now you got six because she's about to have a few more. Just letting you know. And they're like, oh, of course, you know, she's she's with Miss Betty. And they're like, OK. And, you know, people are seeing the media throughout the years, but nobody ever really comes forward. At one point when they were searching for Precious Doe and they were having vigils out there, Michelle went to a vigil and she was handing out flyers like she was part of the community trying to figure out what happened to this baby. That would have been the first thing that I looked at if I was the police. Everybody out here that's so involved, I need to question all (laughs) y'all. And if you're a good person, then you know why they're questioning you. So you wouldn't have a problem with it. So shortly after, one of the places that they went was to Kansas City. Several weeks later, LaWanda hits up Michelle and she's like, yo, this precious doe kind of looked like Erica. What do you think? And Michelle's like, no, Erica's right here. That can't be Erica because I got Erica. They on the phone, so of course you don't know. Now, while all this is going on, the activists are really getting stirred up. They're really being involved. This dude named Alonzo Washington, he decided that he was going to raise money. He raised $33,000 and he released a comic about 
Precious Doe just trying to stir up any type of talk about her to see if anybody had any information. He pledged that each year he would put an ad in the paper to just keep her name in the light. Now, Alonzo, he is a martial artist and comic book sketch artist, and he very much gives me Grand Rising, but I'm not going to talk about him. He decided that crime fighting is what he says that over the years he's done a lot of crime fighting and he has actually been involved with raising money and helping to solve multiple cases. Throughout 2001, police are exploring dozens of different avenues. They're trying to identify her. They're testing her DNA against a missing girl in Tacoma, Washington. They had a sketch artist sketch out what she looked like each year trying to figure out what she looks like, how she may have grown. So anybody, just if anybody could identify her and they really couldn't. In December of 2001, they actually had a proper funeral for Precious Doe and she was buried at the Memorial Park Cemetery. And after that, after that first year, everybody just went back to normal. Like the case went ice cold. Nobody could figure out who this girl was and what happened to her. And then... On April 1st, 2002, Michelle and Harrell get married, girl. Married in an Oklahoma courthouse. I don't know. They got married at the courthouse, but they actually weren't at the courthouse to get married. They were at the courthouse because Harrell had a hearing for his assault charge. And they was like, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's go get married. Let's just go into the other office, go down the stairs, and let's go get married right now. We already got a kid together. They end up having two other children together as well. So three kids together total. And again, every time she would say, oh, Erica's staying with another relative. One time they said like the whole family was on the phone. Like all the kids, they were just on the phone, like on a six-way conversation. And Jasmine, one of her older kids was like, where's Erica? And Michelle just kept talking. Like she didn't even hear the question. She's like, yeah, girl, we did it. Where's Erica? And then we decided we was going to go to the mall and did it. Just completely ignored the question. Everybody had a different story. So some people knew that she was living with Miss Betty. Some people thought that she was in the system. Some people thought she was just with another family member. Some people said that she was adopted and was living with another family. Nobody had the same answer. And it also helps because she's like spread across these states. It's Oklahoma, Missouri, Illinois, all of this. You know what I mean? Like, how you going you can't even be keep anywhere. up with her how she can she keep up with a kid and so it makes people are like oh, okay that's on brand for you you know in 2002 Harrell's grandfather Thurman McIntosh had been seeing news coverage of precious though all over the place and he starts to remember his now granddaughter-in-law Michelle had a daughter but he hadn't seen her recently he even suggested to Harrell that precious Doe was Michelle's daughter and that they had killed her and Harrell was like no, her death was an accident. So it's kind of like, mm, what are you saying, boy? So Harrell ends up going to prison, unrelated. And he's talking to his granddad on the phone. And he was like, yeah, she has something on me that can put me away for a long time. Harrell's grandfather starts becoming suspicious of the two of them and begins to read letters that Harrell wrote to Michelle while he was in prison. And these letters are also insinuating that Harrell had done something that he previously regretted. Now, after Harrell got out, you know, he's reminded how him and Michelle used to argue. And at the end of it, Michelle's always like, you better watch how you talk to me because I can go to police at any moment. (laughs) Watch what you're doing, okay? 
I'll give you life in prison so quick, boy. Don't even fucking play. Mm-hmm. Thurman did call the tip line that was set up for Precious, though. But I guess there was just a lot going on and nobody ended up following up on it. But I think the unfortunate part is he didn't just call once or twice. Grandpa Thurman called that tip line about 50 times trying to give information about Erica. And I heard that they was like, it was just very confusing. I think this man had a stroke at some point. And so he was hard for him to get his facts together. Like, Mm, that makes more sense. Because I was really wondering, that makes more sense to me. It was something... Old folks, once they have a stroke, even when they're trying to make sense, they can't even remember what they're trying to tell you. And it would just be like certain facts are off, right? Like he'd be like... Oh, the baby. He would be like, the baby was in this location. But it was like, that wasn't actually where she was. That's where she was maybe a year before. And so I think certain facts weren't aligning the way they wanted it to, to take it seriously. And it's just, he was on something. He just couldn't get it out the way he needed to. Right. Other people are coming forward with information, of course. But um, nothing is, nothing's sticking. On July 15th of 2003, Precious Doe's body was exhumed and taken to Louisiana to have a bust made of her face. This was to kind of help us identify her, get like a a good visual of what she possibly could have looked like or did look like at the time. We're really trying to get her out here, identify this baby. It's now been four years and nobody has stepped up to claim this missing baby. There was nobody reported her missing, nobody who matched her description, and there was no witness coming forward. Somewhere between April 30th, April 29th of 2005, Harrell's grandfather, you know, he's still calling the police. So finally, he sees an ad in the city called this historically black newspaper of little precious doe. And he was like, okay, that looks like the little girl who I seen a few years ago. Come visit me. So he contacts, this is Alonzo Washington's ad. So he contacts Alonzo Washington directly. You know, Alonzo's like, I really think you should take this to the police. He's like, I've tried. So he's like, definitely go back to the police. So this time Alonzo calls them and then Thurman calls. And Thurman's like, Thurman has really been trying to like be heard. So now finally he's like, I'll give you DNA evidence. And the police is like, okay, you know, we might can do something with a little DNA. So they was like, get everything you can about who you think this girl is missing and, you know, we'll talk to you. He ends up mailing all that he could find. He gets a piece of Erica's hair because Michelle ended up cutting out a lock of Erica's hair and placed it in the Bible in the book of Psalms. So he also sent in a picture of who he thought was Erica. This turns out to be Erica's cousin. This has begun to unravel the mystery of who is Precious Doe. Instacart helps you get beer and wine delivered in as fast as an hour. So, whether you need to fill the cooler for tailgate season or fill your glass for Pinot by the fire season, you can save time by getting fall sips delivered in just a few clicks. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Must be 21 or over for alcohol delivery where available. Instacart. Add life to cart. On May 4th, 2005, a few days later, the police finally get to 
talk to granddad and he is able to lead them to Michelle and Harrell. And he tells the police, I just wanted the people to know the truth of who Precious Doe was before I died. Like, finally, they were able to give her her name and her name is Erica Green. And he was like, I just remember her as this itty bitty little thing when they would bring her over to my place. And she was a good little girl. She she has to be about five or six now. Now, the community, they were really excited because finally, like, they, they have answers. And they really felt that he should receive the reward money. But he was like, listen, I didn't even come forward for the reward money. He said, I'm an old man in the twilight of my life. I just needed to clear my own consciousness because if I didn't do nothing, he said, I might wake up in my grave if I don't do something. Like I had to, I just had to move. Even if he was wrong, he had to figure out, Mm -hmm. he had to make sure that he did the right thing. Once they found who she was and they were able to find like the background and they learned about Miss Betty, they had Miss Betty come in to identify Erica's body and she was able to identify Erica's body because Erica had a birthmark on her shoulder. One of Miss Betty's friends said that, oh, it was just so sad because Miss Betty, she's an old lady and she just ache to see her little Erica again. And she would just, she would see Michelle over a few years, like randomly, you know, Michelle would come in town, they'd pop up, but just never would see Erica. And at church, everybody just thought she was the most precious little little girl. So they really did give her the right name, calling her Precious Doe. Little Miss Betty was just having heartaches, but she felt like there was nothing that she could do. Now, Larry, remember, Larry is Michelle's baby daddy and Erica's real father. He's in prison and he finds out what happened to his daughter and he's devastated. He's like, listen, Erica wasn't the type of child to act up. You know, she wasn't a crybaby. She was the kind of girl that anybody wouldn't mind taking care of. And she was just smiling all the time. I'm not really sure how he knew this since he's been in prison her entire life. But, you know, he probably knew from the phone calls. The police were finally with Miss Betty. Because he set that Mm -hmm. up. Yeah, he set it up since it was his mama's friend. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the police... But he's pretty pissed about hearing what happened. (laughs) As he should be. Right. The police are ready to arrest Harrell and Michelle. But they really didn't need to look no further because guess where Harrell and Michelle were? They was in jail. They was in jail. They was in Muskogee County because they had warrants... For who fucking knows this time? They was in jail, child. They was in jail getting their three hots in a cot or three lukewarms in a cot. The police interview Michelle, and during this interrogation, they show her a picture of Erica, and Michelle says, yes, that's my daughter. She quickly confesses, and she starts crying. She takes the picture, and I think they have her write a note on the backside, like, if you could talk to Erica, what would you say? And she writes... Mama is so sorry. You are always in my heart and soul. Love you always, little E. Then she begins to tell the police what happened. After the interview, she says, can I please go speak with Harrell? Cops are like, not standard, but it could work in our favor. Let's go. So they put her in the room with Harrell, and she just starts nurturing him combing his hair and stroking his head and holding his hand. And she sits real close to him, and she's like, listen, I've come clean, and you need to do the same. Harrell gets upset. He starts crying. And then, you know, he kind of calms down a bit, and he was like, you know, I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to make sure you get off. I'm going to make sure you don't do no time for this, you know. I'm going to eat that charge for you. So Harrell then gives a videotape statement describing 
Erica's murder in detail and how after the fact that they refused to take her to the hospital, how he decapitated her and left her body in the woods. They also give him a picture of Erica and have him write on the back. And his note says, I'm so sorry this happened, and I hope that you forgive me for what I've done. I will always love you with my heart and soul. Harrell LeRon Johnson, I will miss you always. Harrell says it was Michelle's idea to hide the body in the wood. Michelle says she didn't participated in any of it, and then that she didn't even know what he was about to do with her head, like... She's shocked at it all. They put it on each other of who undressed this baby and threw away her clothes. But at the end of the day, police have basically what we need. Like, the little details are the little details, but we know that these are the people who are responsible. Right. The day after this interrogation, the police, they finally received the results of the hair sample. And it has matched with Erica Green, Precious Doe. It's all the same person. And Michelle and Harrell Johnson were officially charged with her murder. Now, Harrell was charged with first-degree murder, endangering the welfare of a child, and abuse of a child that resulted in death. Michelle was charged with second-degree murder, endangering the welfare of a child, abandonment of a corpse, and physical evidence tampering. The police say that both Harrell and Michelle seemed relieved after interrogations as if they were glad to get it off their chest. On May 10th of 2005... Michelle and Harrell both pleaded not guilty, and Harrell was held without bond, and Michelle had a bond of half a million dollars. The prosecutors asked that the couple be extradited to Kansas City as soon as possible, which they were. Now, after this breaks out, people are just in shock. Some are, some aren't. And two of Michelle's sisters, they ended up coming forward to talk to the cops about the abuse between Michelle, Harrell, and Erica. They said that while Michelle was in jail and Harrell was in jail, Harrell was writing letters to Michelle trying to make sure, you know, like, hey, baby, what we going to do? You know, let's make sure that we 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 work out what's going to happen. Make sure that we don't throw each other on the bus. We got to stand 10 toes down. But little did he know, Michelle was, even though she played not guilty, she was in the process of working out a deal with the DA because, obviously, Michelle was set to go to trial on September 13, 2007. But... She took a plea where she would get 25 years in exchange for her testimony against her now ex-husband because she filed for divorce as soon as they got charged. As soon as they got arrested and got charged, she said, you know what? Let's get these divorce papers rolling. You can testify against your husband. You just don't have to. But I guess she decided that she wanted to, clearly. I mean, but like you get, you don't have to be divorced to testify against him. That's your choice. It's just, just that. It's just the law protects you if you are Right. Married. I bet that's the reason they got married in the fucking first place is because he told her that. And so that's probably, she probably, ignorance is no defense, but people are ignorant of the law. So she was probably like, I have to divorce so I can, I don't know. Anyways, so she does file for divorce with him. She decides that she is going to testify against him because like if she did go to trial, even though she wasn't going for like first degree murder, she still had the ability to get life in prison. So she decided that she was going to plead guilty to second-degree murder, child endangerment, abandonment of a corpse, and tampering with evidence. She also admitted that she knew that Erica was badly injured. She admitted that she knew that Erica needed medical attention, but once the body was laying there and she was unconscious, she did nothing to help her. The thing about Erica and Harrell was that 
Harrell wanted to take it to trial because he was fighting the fact that it was first-degree murder. They both said that they did it. And so even though they're both telling the story, there's slight discrepancies between the two, like how they have different stories about how long Erica was laying on the floor. They have discrepancies between how long it was that she was alive or that she was actually dead. But even though they had minor conflicts in their story, they were so minor that it really didn't make a big difference because both of them were on the run for the police and both of them were involved in this really, really heinous crime. So she agreed that she was going to testify against Harrell and then Harrell found out and remember he was writing letters to her and at first the letters were like oh baby you know I love you we gonna figure out how to do this thing together and and then he was like we can come up with a story so we can say that this nigga Mike Mike we gave we gave Erica to a dude named Mike Mike and Mike Mike was supposed to take her down to Miss Betty but we just never saw her again so really it's not us it's this random nigga Mike Mike and then when he just realized that nothing was going to work he started writing letters to Michelle like Fuck you. I'm going to make sure you get ran over personally. Uh, tell them, make sure you tell them how you used to beat and leave Erica in the room with nothing. You used to be in the other room getting fucking high and Erica be just in the room with no TV, no nothing. While you just sitting there smoking crack, you come out of this jail, you a fucking dead woman. You know, like if I see you, you getting shot on sight straight up. So at first it was like, I love you. Then it was like, we can have a plan. And it's like, fuck My mind, you. things have changed. <laughs> Right. So on September 29th, 2008, the state filed an information in lieu of indictment charging Harrell with first-degree murder, endangering the welfare of a child in the first degree, and abuse of a child resulting in death. Prosecutors were not seeking the death penalty. I heard that originally they weren't being charged with first-degree, but they were like, mm, it's giving premeditation, bump them up to first. And with all that said, they got ready. Well, Harrell got ready. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. Harrell's trial started in October of 2008. Michelle testified at Harrell's trial saying that he was high on drugs and alcohol and that he kicked Erica in the head because she wouldn't go to bed. They even unshackled her feet during this testimony so that she could demonstrate how he kicked her in the court. She said he just peeked up his feet and kicked her on the side of her face. And I said, what the fuck did you do? And she said that shook him out of his high. The way Michelle tells the story and the way Harrell tells the story, it sounds like Harrell only kicked Erica once, but the physical evidence established that there was prolonged assault to Erica. She continues to testify about how she tried to revive Erica and put her in a bath and then ultimately ended up laying her on the floor and said that she didn't want to go to the hospital because they didn't want to go to jail because we was both on the run for the police. So she said that it felt like Erica was on the floor for days. Harrell says it was only a few hours, but she says that in that moment she knew that Erica was going to die if she didn't take him to the hospital. She said, I was just on the floor with her singing her favorite song, which was a Barbie song, and I kissed her. And I was asking God to let my daughter live and take me. Now, she continues to testify that after Erica had passed, they decided to dispose of her body at night so that they wouldn't be seen by the neighbors. She couldn't explain why she took Erica's clothes off before they decapitated her and left her body in the woods. She just says, he handed me her clothes and I left. She later tells about how they moved ahead from the dumpster because they figured it would be better in the woods. 
And Harrell gets on and he begins to testify like, yes, I did kick Erica, but this was not premeditated. Definitely don't need first degree. And he goes on to say, quote, I have never once harmed a hair on her head or did anything to hurt her. God knows my little angel Erica knows the truth. And I ain't going to stop fighting until I prove my innocence and the truth is brought to light. Which is, God about to smite you down, my dog, because... <laughs> right. There is a history of you abusing this girl. So the medical examiner comes up and reveals what they found during the autopsy. This is another one, you guys. Go ahead and skip 30 seconds to a minute ahead. The autopsy reveals that she suffered multiple injuries to the head. There is no way that he kicked her one time. There were several oval-shaped defects and some slit-light defects in various areas of her scalp and face. The forensic pathologist said that the injuries were consistent with a kick or kicks to her head. Her skull itself was intact, but inside the skull was a small amount of hematoma, which is basically a blood clot, and large areas of hemorrhaging. The subdural hematoma is an indicator of brain injury where the brain is moving rapidly and stopping within the skull. So maybe he was also violently shaking her. According to the forensic pathologist who performed the autopsy, they said that most of this hemorrhaging and most of the hematoma was caused by a closed head injury or a blunt force head injury. They said that the injuries found on Erica's head were consistent of severe kicking. And he noted that her head bore multiple points of impact on different surfaces. So there's no way that a single kick took her out. A pediatric neurosurgeon also took the stand, Dr. Gregory Horning, and agreed with a pathologist and also testified that Erica could have possibly survived for at least 10 hours after the attack and she could have survived the entire thing if medical personnel was called. He said that not getting her medical attention was ultimately the cause of her death. Luanda took the stand even though like honestly straight up Luanda bitch you should have got a couple charges like you should have got a couple charges, but okay. But she is the stand and she testifies how she would hear Harella Michelle arguing all the time how one time Harrell yelled to her you better get your daughter I'm gonna do something bad and then a week later he she hears this big bang and doesn't ever see Erica again and she talks about like what we told you that they just told Luanda that she was sick Luanda said that Michelle had an excuse for everything and they would believe her so in the end of it Harrell was found guilty on all three charges and it only took the jury a few hours to deliberate after the trial a couple of people had some things to say Marcy Williams from the Precious Doe Committee said you married the man that murdered your child how could anybody have sympathy for you she married him she had more kids by him I think what she said today is probably some guilt, but I don't think there's remorse there. Not, not by a long shot do I believe she's remorseful at all. Michelle says after the trial, when I close my eyes, I see it. I heard my daughter take her last breath. I just told her that I'm going to take care of her sisters and brothers and do what I can for them and what I couldn't do for her. I ask myself every day, why? Why didn't I help her? That's a mother's instinct to protect her child. Why didn't I do what I was supposed to do for my child? No drugs, no men. Nothing should be more important than your child. You took the words right out of my mouth. I agree, girl, but, you know, hindsight is 2020. 
Right. And I was talking to this girl yesterday when I was at that cookout and I was telling them, you know, I don't have any kids. I'm an only child out of my cousins. I'm the youngest. Like I really don't have experience around kids. Kids love me. I'm definitely a baby magnet, but like, I just don't have real experience with kids. And I was like, and it scares me for having a kid. And she was just like, that intuition really, she was like, people talk about it, but it really does kick in. She was like, some people it does kick in late. Maybe it kicks in um, after the child is here. Maybe it kicks in before and you have a nesting period. She was like, but at some point, she was like, I know some people that, you know, especially if they're dealing with postpartum, like the, the intuition doesn't kick in until their child is like two or three. But the intuition eventually, for the most part, kicks in mm-hmm. and you know what to do and you know how you, it's, it's innate. It's part of being a childbearing person, you know what I'm saying? So it's crazy that you say that now, but it's like no man nor drugs are more important than your child. I'll give up weed so quick for a kid if I needed to. You know what I'm saying? Like weed ain't shit. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing like what it did. Compared to a a child? What? I promise I want my baby so much more than I want anything else. She also questioned Terrell, you know? She's like, I have so many questions that only he can answer. Like, why? Just why? Why did you feel like you had to cut her head off? She says, the newspapers, they say I was down there when this happened. I wasn't down there. She later ends up thanking the community for helping find her daughter, for giving her a name, for loving on her, for burying her, doing all the things that she should have done as a mother. Thank you, community, for taking over what I should have been doing. I mean, the entire state was taken over. Yeah. All your other kids, too. States. <laughs> States. Right. Because at this point, she has a total of eight children. Remember, she had five. Erica was her fifth with Larry. And then she ended up having three with Harrell. Girl. So, Harrell ended up getting life in prison without probation or parole for murder in the first degree charge. Four years for imprisonment and endangering the welfare of a child. 25 years for child abuse resulting in death. And the circuit court ordered that these sentences be served consecutively. And Michelle was convicted of second degree murder and got 25 years. Now, Miss Betty said, I'll be sitting listening to the preacher praying that justice be served because they need just what they gave her. Whatever you give, you should receive. You take a life, somebody should take yours. And if I'm wrong, I hope God forgives me. That's got to be a hard place to be. But, like, the thing is, y'all didn't give Miss Betty. Y'all gave her a piece of paper, signed that baby to her with her ID and a Sam's Club card. You didn't give her a point of contact with somebody with the state. You didn't give her somebody to reach out to if she had concerns. She was only told and instructed that when the mom says, give me the kid, you give her the kid. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Miss Betty, I don't blame you. Lawanda, you and I have an issue. But, like Tazzy said, her rebel was found guilty. And he decided, of course, that he was going to appeal. And he was going to appeal on the grounds of insufficient evidence and finding the guilt beyond a reasonable doubt for the murder in the first degree. Remember, he's saying that it, it was not premeditated. He's saying that... They failed to produce evidence that Harrell knowingly caused Erica's death. So he didn't knowingly kill her, you know, dismembering a corpse, getting rid of evidence, all those things, fine. Now, remember, first degree is if a person commits the crime of murder in the first degree, if he knowingly causes the death of another person after deliberation upon the matter. And that was his thing. He was like, I didn't deliberately kill her like I didn't say plan to kill her I didn't plan but the thing that you guys know and we know is that 
that planning can be an instant. You may not have kicked her in the head thinking that you were going to kill her, but when you continued to hit her, when she screamed and you continued to hit her, that was in the that was you planning to do it. When she was laying there unconscious and you decided not to get her medical help, that was you plan that was a plan. You said that you have warrants, deliberate. I have warrants, let's not call the police. That is a plan. So, yeah, it is murder in the first degree and you tried to cover it up not just at the time. You Covered it up for four years. And you just don't have to sit with that first degree murder because you're you're playing in our fucking faces right now. Right now, Harrell is located at the Jefferson City Correctional Center in Jefferson City, Missouri. Michelle is located at the, they can make fun of me, Chillicote Correctional <laughs> Center in Chillicote, Missouri. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I said it wrong, okay? In April of 2010, Larry... The father, he's finally out of prison after he after he did his 10 years. And he decides that he's going to file a lawsuit against the Oklahoma Department of Corrections. And the reason for this is because they needed to put systems in place because how do you have a child that's born in prison and you have no idea where the child is going, the welfare, um, who's going to get custody of the children, like what is happening to the child while the parent is incarcerated? He also thought that the the Department of Corrections and DHS should have clear communication over which child or, or what should happen to a child that is born when the mother is incarcerated. Now, the DOC spokesperson is like, when it comes like when it comes to this, like we don't do anything, you know. Like we ask them to have somebody there to come pick up the child. They pick who is going to pick up the child and we give the child away. Now, that is a direct quote from him, Mara. Oh god, this is a direct quote, Tazzy. This is a this is a direct quote. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read the direct quote, guys, <laughs> cuz I did not think this was a direct quote. <laughs> I just I felt like you did not felt like you thought that was me. That's not me. That's a direct quote. Okay, you guys, I'm about to read y'all this direct quote <clears throat> straight from the script. Jerry Massey, an Oklahoma DOC spokesperson, says when it comes to, quote, when it comes to situations like this, we don't do a damn thing, end quote. I really didn't want that to be a direct quote, Tazzy. Wow. Yep. Yep. Um, And when he says situations like this, he's referring to kids born in prison. Right. Basically, not his problem. Right. Not his department. That ain't on us. And basically, when they talk to DHS, the Department of Human Services, um, they were like, it doesn't matter because, quote, we don't deal with this. And it, basically, it's because they step in if there's nobody to claim the child. But if somebody is there to claim the child, then DHS doesn't step in. He's now he's pushing for, you know, civil suits. He's pushing all of these things. He's trying to just get laws changed. And the lawsuit was settled in 2013. And the DHS DOC and the University of Oklahoma Medical Center, where Erica was born, they agreed to adopt new procedures to ensure that babies born to mothers in prison will be referred to DHS to plan for a safe placement of the newborn before the baby leaves the hospital. It seems like that should already be the case, but it's always got to be some traumatic shit for y'all to do the right thing and realize that, ooh, maybe we should fix this. And this new rule and these new policies are called Erica's Rule. So now they have to make sure that children have proper placement and the people that they are placed with have the proper resources to take care of the baby and have somebody, a point of contact to reach out to if there are any concerns whatsoever. Also, and even procedures of giving the 
child back to the mother. Like, right, because Erica was... It's now a fit situation. Right, because Michelle was not... the issue wasn't who she was placed with. Right. Miss Betty was fine. It was the fact that Michelle has so many kids that... She, there's a laundry list of her endangering these children, yet she has the ability to go pick up this child whenever she wants, and she has the right to do so when you can't go pick up your other kids from the state because you have lost the custody. <sighs> now, Larry was also compensated. He got himself a, a, a monetary sum, but that monetary sum was undisclosed. I bet he did. That is the story of the murder of Precious Doe, her real name, Erica Michelle Marie Green. Ooh, that was a sad one. All right, y'all, it's time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I ain't do it, but if I did, instead of sitting there praying to God that he take you instead of your daughter, how about you take your daughter to the hospital and God can take you to jail, not take your life, okay? You know what I'm saying? Because in a child endangerment, a putting, putting, uh, letting somebody else abuse your child, it's still not a murder charge. They're going to get your ass in prison, but, you know, it's not a murder charge. I ain't do it, but if I did, I'm not marrying the man that killed my baby. I ain't do it, but if I did... Nor am I having three more kids with him. That's what I was about to say. I ain't do it, but if I did... Uh, abortion. Plan B. I popped them bitches like a Skittle. Something. I would say, like, get your tubes tied, but I doubt that she has the money for that or the insurance to do that. So mm-hmm. that's probably not an option. But I would definitely be like, you know what? I feel like birth and babies is not for me. And clearly, I'm very fertile. So let's do the things that I can. But you know what? I feel like a part of her, like, you know, the more kids you have, the more assistance you can receive. Because she was going around for years after Erica died, still collecting benefits for this baby in three different states. So, you know, if you need food stamps, if you got a kid, you get more. Filing and on she's her taxes. collecting benefits. I, don't know for saying Wait, taxes. can she file taxes? What is your and Not without a real job. I don't think you filed taxes for prostitution. And I don't know if her holding down a real job. It seems like she kind of scammed her way through life. But you can collect benefits. And she did that all while they were looking for this missing baby. I ain't do it, but if I did, I would have turned on that nigga sooner. Like, in the moment. Like, let's say that you were so fucked up. Let's say you were so messed up and you walk in and this man has beat your child. That is not enough to sober you up enough to be like, you know what? You got to go. And she even says it sobered him up. She was like, he sobered up quick once he realized what he did. Like, And so we continue to make bad decisions. I didn't do it, but if I did, it seemed like, I don't know that, the ins and outs of their agreement, but it doesn't seem like Miss Betty was hounding them for money. Why you ain't just leave the baby there? Because he had a six-month-old and you wanted to be like, you got a baby, I got a baby too? Mm-hmm. Is that what mm-hmm. it really was? Because that's what it's giving. I ain't do it, but if I did, like, LaWanda... It might have been a while. Bitch, I would have turned on that motherfucker so quick. You're a dummy. You're a big dummy, hoe, aren't you? Because why on earth do you think that it is okay for a child to be in your home and for you to not see it. This is your house. You pay the bills. I know them crackheads ain't paying the bills up in here. You paying the bills up in here. I would be like, 
I don't have kids, but I have friends that have kids. I have friends that have that are that watch kids that are around kids, and I am very conscious of when children are in my home. I mean, one of the big things is like I live alone. I'm I'm a woman that lives lives alone. So even like when I I know that kids are coming over, I make sure I just consciously I'm like, okay, I have a kid coming over. Go put up my weapons. You don't do shit like that when kids are around. Some people, even when like my friends come over that have older kids that, but even like I have a friend that has a seven-year-old and you don't have to watch them like that, right? Because they're seven. Set them up in front of the TV, give them the Roku, put them on the kids' YouTube and the kids' Netflix and they are good to fucking go. But you still are conscious of it. Like even, I'm not even a mom, but I still keep an ear out to make sure that I don't hear no bad words from the random music that I'm playing because I know that there is a child in my house and I can't play the same music or I can't do the same. I can't talk the same. You just, and I would know if a child did not, is in my house and did not leave and did not walk out of the house. Are you kidding me? Or even before she was like, I could hear that baby crying. I could hear him being like, you can no testify point. against him being abusive to this child. Did you go get the kid? Y'all high as hell. Let me get this baby. Come here, little baby. They they acting up. Let me take you outside to the park that's across the street. Let me just take the baby to the park across the street while your parents are in there getting fucked up. I feel like you're giving her the benefit of the doubt, thinking that she's not also high. True, but you're like right. people who not on that shit. Don't let that shit go on in their house. You, right? you about to have somebody stay with you and they down there on PCP? No. Like, there's only so, so many drugs you can do in my space. Some shit no. you got to do in your own time. No. Mm-mm. Can't do no crack rock. Can't do no. Mm-mm. Y'all, me and Tazzy went to go get some weed, right? And the dude was like, what you need to be selling, y'all need to sell that crack. Do you move that? Me and Tazzy were like, ah. nah. We're We're at the line. We're at the line, sir. We're at the line. Give me my marijuana and go. All your other stuff I'm not here for. But like you just, yeah, there's, there are drugs you just can't do in my space. And I'm an open, fun, cool kid. You know, some stuff you can't do around me. I ain't do it, but if I did, I just, I just, I feel like the easiest solution was to take her to back to Betty. Or to just leave her there in the first place. She, I feel like, say you was mad at her. You know, you could just take that little girl to the police station. You could take her to the fire station. Uh, Depending on the city, I don't think every city does this, but some cities, you can take the kid to like a random bus stop and put them on the bus and tell the bus driver the kid needs to be put in a safe place and they have to take the kid no questions. They will take the kid no questions asked. There are a lot of places where you can take children and they will take the kid off of your hands, no questions asked. You can do that. I feel like, I feel like it had been a while since she had had her kid with her, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like she forgot the level of effort. Because you got to remember, like, our previous kids are with the state. Then she was in jail right after she had this one. It's been a long time since she's been a full-time mother. And I think she forgot the amount of work that went into it. And was just probably like, a, hmm, you got your baby. I, I got a baby I can go get. And just, like, really was like, oh, I got to take care of this thing. And he's like, damn, we got to take care of this thing. And that didn't really go with your high 
and the vibe that you had going on. It's because just- most people, when you're high, high, especially on those type of drugs, you want to just sit in silence on your own. You want to sit down. You want to... You want to be in a dark corner. You don't really want to do nothing. You don't want nobody to mess with you. And like we said earlier, PCP gives you those hallucina- hallucinations. They distort sound. So even if she was in there freaking just playing with her dollies, it's going to sound like she's screaming, you know? You just... Things you just don't do. I ain't do it, but if I did, I just... I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. It's a baby. It's a kid. That baby ain't do nothing to you but be a kid. And get, being a kid, kids are kids are annoying. I'm not here to tell you that kids are not oh, annoying. Because kids every are. Every single one of them. I mean, they just, they just are. are. It's a fact of life. It's a fact of life. And they're kids supposed are. to be. Because they're learning. And your job as the adult is to help shape them into, to mold them into a person that is a little less annoying and knows how to control their emotions, knows how to pay attention, learns when... When I was working at that school and I had three-year-olds, I did not like working with three-year-olds because it just wasn't for me to have a big group. Some people, it's because they are learning how to sit down. They are learning how to raise their hand. They are learning how to take turns. And it's a, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's not for everybody to do like in a teacher setting. But if you are a parent, guess what? Nobody has a roadmap. Does anybody have a map? Does anybody just happen to know how the hell to do this? They don't, okay? It's me just pretending to know. Everybody, that is the point of motherhood. You are figuring it out, or parenthood, really. You're figuring it out. There's no roadmap. The kid is here. They need things all the time. They want to talk your head off. They don't want to go to bed. You signed up for the gig. And, Michelle, you had a way out. Betty was there and you have to, we're going to post a picture, but Miss Betty, she, she just had all those dresses. You could tell she just spoiled that little girl, dressed her up like a little baby doll all the time. Oh, Pearl or no Pearl? Hell no. Oh (laughs) no. Hell no. I don't got shit else to say, but fuck no. Fuck no. Don't let me get, don't let me get locked. I'll get locked up in the state of where we at Oklahoma just to fucking beat your ass. Mm. I I do something crazy just to beat your ass in prison. <laughs> Hell no. Nah. Yeah, it's definitely a no parole. All the time that you have received, all of it, every bit of it. Let's read some reviews. Okay, this one is from this one was on Apple and Rose Gold nineteen twenty eight. I'm gonna need you to go back because the title of this says a hundred stars. The caption says, "I swear they get me through the day," but you accidentally rated us one star, and I feel like you did that on accident. So I'm gonna need you to go back and change it. Thank you so much because it's that's too much love for a one star review. I really feel like your finger just slipped. It's okay. Sometimes I fat finger things too. <laughs> this one says, "This podcast is a gem." I love you too, and I love what you do. Thank you for putting your heads together to create such a beautiful body of work. The storytelling is impeccable and extremely informative. Mariah's singing and Tad's hip-hop references hooked me in instantly. Also, this goes without saying, but I'm going to have to say it. The pro-blackness makes me feel at home. You've gained a forever support, and I look forward to more of your episodes. Listening from Inglewood, California. Love, Mimi. Thank Thank you. you. Awesome. That was really fun. I enjoyed this very much. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, 
just a quick announcement. We will not be... really fun, but... (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. Thank you guys for hanging out with us for another week. Um, Thank you for getting through this case. Just so you guys know, a quick announcement. We will not be at CrimeCon this year. Um, It has nothing to do with CrimeCon, and we really hope that we will be there at another year. But we are taking the NAACP Travel Advisory very serious. Um, And we think that you all should as well. So we will not be traveling to Florida. I'll take it out if we don't get it by Friday. Email us, sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, sisterswhokill, on Instagram, sisterswhokillpod. You can follow us on TikTok, sisterswhokillpodcast. I made a TikTok and somebody was like, oh my gosh, where have you been? I was like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to be better. Um, uh, And you can join the discussion group on Facebook. You can also join the public discussion group. If you're going on Facebook, do both. I promise you, do both. Uh, Anything else, friend? Talk to us, we talk back. All right, bye.